97.02, up, up, and away. Here we go. It's time. Iron Sports, 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo here with you as well. A huge show on tap tonight, Ira. Um, first and foremost, probably the craziest NFL free agency week I've ever seen in my entire life. We're going to talk all about it. It is by far the craziest week. I mean, there used to be you never, first of all, had many free agents, and then you didn't have trades, and we have probably the biggest trade in NFL history and some amazing signings. And, of course, it involved uh, my team. <laughs> I don't know if we're on the winning or losing end of that yet, um, but we will find that out uh, as the seasons roll on. Um, and NCAA to, uh, brackets are out. Of course, we're going to have our good friend Mike Isolino stop by, um, veteran of the show, and Ira, if we're not familiar with Mike, tell us about him. Um, he's uh, a former St. Francis, Pennsylvania superstar. He uh, made it the NCAA tournament, almost beat Arizona in an opening round game. It's a very famous game he played. Uh, he's also the coach at Robert Morris right now. And so Mike has a good perspective from the, where we're looking to see what upsets teams are going to have. He's he's played a lot of these teams. He's seen a lot of these mm -hmm. teams. And if you're asking someone, says how many teams have seen Wofford play? I don't think <laughs> Wofford or Liberty or Murray State. I just don't think people are sitting at home watching those teams play. So. Yeah, that's it. 7.30, you're not going to want to miss uh, Mike Isolino here on Iron Sports. Ira, did you do your bracket yet? I got mine done. Yes, I have it done. Uh, I, I have mine is so chalky. I mean, it, usually mine is always super chalky, but the top of mine is going to be um, uh, a lot of ones, twos, threes, and fours in the uh, Sweet 16. How did yours play out? Same way. I mean, I think Duke, Virginia, I, I was not surprised that the th I was glad the three ACC teams were the top seeds. They were deserving. And I, I was really, I mean, you're not getting, of all those years, you're hearing, oh, this team didn't get in, the seeding's wrong. You hear very little complaining this year. No, yeah, I, I agree with the uh, with the selection committee on this one. Um, all right, let's get into it. We always want to talk about where you've been. This is kind of a quiet week for you, Ira, just uh, only two professional sporting events. Tell us about Well, getting ready for next week. We're going to have a lot going on next week. But um, I went to two minor league games. So I wanted to see, I mean, when I look at a minor league game, which are the ones I want to go to, because you either go to the ballpark or the Palm Beaches or Roger Dean, I mm -hmm. say, who's pitching? So I'm looking because I want to see pitchers because you have no idea what position players are going to Never play. Never know. Yeah. I mean, I said I saw the Red Sox, they brought J.D. Martinez, and then everyone else wasn't even going to make the Red Sox team. Mm -hmm. And you just don't know. And, and also get there early because they're all gone by the fifth inning. I mean, they're out of the stadium by the mm -hmm. fifth inning. So I saw Mets Marlins on Tuesday and Jacob deGrom. Wanted to see how yeah. he pitched. Uh, five innings. He gave up two runs, six Ks, no walks. He looked great. Hitting 97 miles an hour was fantastic. It uh, was really, you know, he gave up one home run to Brian Anderson, who might have a really good year. If you look at the Marlins lineup, they, they have some interesting pieces. And uh, <laughs> Granderson got on, and Curtis Granderson's on the team, Neil Walker's on the team. So, but it was, uh, and Sterling Castro. I mean, they have a nice little, you know, starting five, start first five of the lineup. Uh, but DeGrom the pitching's going to hold them back. The pitching's going to hold them back, and DeGrom looked fantastic and uh, was just, you know, it's great. They have a pitchcock of 20 seconds. DeGrom gets the ball, he pitches. I mean, these Mets pitchers, Wheeler and DeGrom, I saw them the next game, they they pitch in like five seconds. They, when you when you look at the clock and you see the clock, and then you see these other pitchers take forever and it's running down, but DeGrom gets the ball, pitches. Looked, mm. He looked, he had total control, looked amazing. If, if someone hasn't been to uh, Roger Dean Stadium here in Jupiter, Florida, it really is, it, it's like a hidden gem there in Abacola. You, you love going out there. Oh, it's just easy to park in, get in there and just run into the game. You park, I mean, considering going to major league parks and where you sit and what you pay where you sit, I mean, for 30 bucks and 20 bucks, you can sit, you're sitting in the 10th row. Mm -hmm. Yankee Stadium, that's tickets like thousand dollars it's crazy yeah no the difference is uh the difference is crazy i did see it's like you said it's kind of tough to pick your games though the yankees trotted out a lineup today that had stanton and like you said eight guys that probably aren't going to make the, the roster so you do you know you are going there for the pitchers uh let's talk about thursday zach wheeler 
You know, a few years ago when they were touting all these Mets superstars coming up, Wheeler was thought to be, you know, going to be better than DeGrom. It hasn't really come to fruition yet. He's a good pitcher. He's not on the level of DeGrom, but this might be the breakout year for him. So how did that game go? If the Mets pitcher stays healthy, wow. I mean, with Sidergog, DeGrom, and, and Wheeler. Wheeler now looks great. I mean, mm. he was hitting, again, the MPHs, the miles per hour. I couldn't believe. I mean, consistently, 96, 97, 98 miles an hour. These are starting pitchers. And and with the changeup that he has, it was just amazing. I mean, he gave up uh, it was five innings, two hits, four Ks. Uh, he pitched great. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was it was interesting. Another player, you know, Cano, I mentioned him for the Mets. He's hitting like 450 in the spring training. I know spring training, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think, it's a, I think Cano's been sort of lost. It's like he was this Yankee star star, going to be the next Jeter, all this other stuff, and disappears for Seattle for all these years, gets suspended for PEDs, but suddenly he's back here now at the Mets, and I like the Mets. I think their over-under was 84 and a half for this year. I think they could win 90 games. The pitching is definitely, you know, it's going to be on the back of the the pitchers if they do it, and yeah, I mean, they added some pieces. Nice to grab Edwin Diaz, too, in that deal, so now they can solidify um, their bullpen a little bit. Um, You know, I was out in Jupiter um, yesterday, actually, and it's... St. Louis Cardinals fans just take over that town. And so it's really great that we have them there. How did they look? Um, I like walk a pitch for the Cardinals. And, and uh, he, he was fantastic. It was a one, one game. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, and, and the one thing when you watch the Cardinals, I mean, they are so well coached um, the defense, you notice it's spring training, a lot of errors, a lot of mistakes, a lot of whatever, but even ever, even their second string guy, Molino's the catcher. He's throwing people out at second base. Yeah. He had two guys thrown out at second base. I mean, he, to, to watch someone like Molino catch uh, and it's just tremendous. He's one of the great, you know, best defensive catchers of all time and the Cardinals are tremendous in terms of just turning double plays this simple plays that uh, they just make effortless so many double plays uh, great defensive fields that's why it was 1-1 they're, the Cardinals are always going to be, be a team yeah that's well coached and they do the little things they're the, the quintessential National League team you, you know they, they get a guy on they could bunt him over they can steal bases they do the little things that help you win games and that's why they've got the second most championships ever next to you know my New York Yankees I read baseball's very um, archaic in ways. They don't like to change. But there's going to be some changes this year. Uh, why don't you run it down for us? Three batter. Well, it's going to be not this year, but next year. Three bat. They have, they pass these rules. Three batter minimum. So that means that a pitcher comes in the game. You can't have the left inning special, the, the left hander specialist, because if a pitcher comes in, he has to pitch for three batters. Now. I know that's the one rule I think is ridiculous. I mean, I like to see one pitcher come in. They're trying to speed the game up mm-hmm. by saying can't just can't keep pulling these pitchers. But I think that's a rule. Hopefully, they revisit next year and don't implement. The roster size is one of the best rules because it's so stupid that in September you're allowed to have 40 players while the rest of the year play with 25. It's like if the NFL suddenly said we're going to go to 80 guys mm-hmm. for like the last four games. You played off 12 games one way, and then for the last four you're going to go to something. So I, I think keeping the roster size at 28, so you're not going to have all these call ups that come up, which has been traditionally been what's happened in baseball. They're kind of an all star election day. There's going to be one day when there's going to take the top three vote getters, and it's going to be everyone's going to vote. They're going to make that a big day. They think. That's going to help it. And also, they're going to put money to the home run derby, $2.5 million to overall, like a million and a half to the winner, trying to get more people to, to mm. do the home run derby. And they're going to have a hard trading deadline of July 31st. It's it like, seems like there's no deadline. I mean, yeah, there's no <laughs> deadline. It's like even in, it seems like in September, something mm. happens. Like oh, yeah. people put, put on waivers. There's all these different archaic, stupid rules. They're going to say, look, July 31st, if you're on the team, then you can, or, or else you're not going to play. You're not going to be in the postseason, which is the smart move because you can't wait, have people making moves August 31st for the postseason. It's it's the uh, the grayest line in, in all of sports. Well, hopefully, hopefully that's deadline. over. And then the one thing that people are going to notice on television is that there's a commercial breaks or this is you get usually right now have two minutes and five seconds on a local TV. It's a national. It's two minutes and 25 seconds for commercial breaks. I know it probably seems longer, but that's really all it is. But they're actually taking it down to two minutes, 
for each, for both. What's going to happen though, is you're going to come back from the break and either miss a pitch or they're going to go split screen to a commercial, which I don't like. I mean, I'd rather just show me the game. I don't want to see commercials. I don't want to, mm-hmm. it just, I hate missing pitches and I hate seeing commercials when I'm watching the game. You know, it's interesting. I'm for the three batter minimum. I, I could see how it could lead to some issues, but there is, it's, you know, nothing worse than watching a game in April and there's three or four pitching changes in one half an inning. It, it just slows it down for me. The one downside to me would be though, that guy who just comes in and just doesn't have it. And he's just got to go out there and just get pounded for, for two more hitters after he lets up a first pitch, you know, first pitch home run. But I'm all for this. I, I don't know. I, I want to see the game sped up. And I'm not the kind of guy, you know, like, you know, I mentioned 15 times already today. I'm a Yankee fan. And everybody, you know, all Yankees and Red Sox games take four and a half hours. Well, real fans like those games. Those are my favorite games to watch. But I do think some of, you know, the ridiculous uh, commercials constantly, I'd like to slow that down a little bit. It's Iron Sports True Oldies Channel, 7-Eleven. I'm Mike Balsamo. Mike Isolino joins us at 7 30 to break down everything in your bracket. So if you want to win that cash this year, you need to be here, ready to go from Mike Isolino. Irie, you said before, it could be the biggest trade in the history of the NFL. What happened? I think it's biggest because it's probably, besides Herschel Walker, when Herschel Walker traded to the Cowboys to the Vikings, it Beckham is a name. I mean, you go around town and watch people in outside of New York. It's the, one of the highest selling jerseys, if not the highest selling yeah. jersey. He's very popular. Everyone knows who he is. Um, it was for a first and third rounder, which people are criticizing the Giants for, and Jarrell Pepper, so, which was, who was the first Pepper? First round pick, first round pick himself. Yeah. I thought it was a great pick. Considering the Steelers for Antonio Brown, who I believe is a much better wide receiver, just got a third and fifth, the Giants get a first and a third. Um, A little bit to know, like, why the Giants made the trade. Well, Beckham, and it's, well, I think this is a phenomenal trade for Cleveland. Like, I think, like, this is the perfect spot for Beckham, and I've not been a Beckham fan, but this might unleash... This might make him the best wide receiver in the game. Mm. I mean, he was he's only 5'11", 200. I met him, saw him in person. I don't even think he's 5'11". I think it's more like 5'10", 5'9". But he went board, was born in Baton Rouge, went to LSU. He was, a, as a sophomore season, the key thing is he played with Jarvis Landry. Yep. Well, Jarvis Landry, remember him from the Dolphins, but Jarvis Landry now plays for the Browns. Mm-hmm. So Mayfield, yeah, this is like the NF. Remember when the Heat put together Bosch and Wade and LeBron? Mm-hmm. These guys, Mayfield and Landry and Mayfield and, and, and Beckham have known each other for years. Landry and Beckham consider themselves best friends. So in there with their, in LSU, Zach Metzenberger, was their, you know, not a big household mm-hmm. name. I mean, they were both catching balls. I mean, he won the Paul Hornung uh, Award for one of the best uh, wide receivers in football. 59 catches, 1,152 yards. The Giants select him. People think he's a first-round pick, first-round overall. He was only the 12th pick. He was the third wide receiver of the draft behind Sammy Watkins and Mike Evans. And he sat out, you know, he sat out the first four games of 2014. But then from 2015 to 17, just amazing. You know, as a Giants fan, mm-hmm. I mean, catching, like, averaging catches, uh, uh, but the the game that was remember the when he first burst on the scene was that I almost went to the that Dallas game. Cowboy game the Dallas Cowboy he yeah. came in there and he had the one handed catch and I was about to go to the game and he had, I just didn't go and it was like the, they consider one of the greatest plays everybody remembers it ten catches for 146 yards two touchdowns on Sunday night everyone saw him do it and I think that you know that sort of cemented him in everyone's mindset he averaged in, in 2015 like 96 catch, catches 1400 yards uh, was tremendous but. The one thing that started happening in 2017, he was the only played four games. This past year, he played thir- 13 games. He's been a problem. The question is, the 
some people say he hasn't been the problem with the Giants, but someone who follows the Giants on a daily basis, he's criticized Eli, yeah. he's criticized the team, criticized the general managers, just this undercurrent of criticism, and I think the Giants were just tired of it. Now, this is whole issue is, did the Giants, were they looking for the trade? They're saying, no, it was just, we're just blown over by the trade. That was the best trade we could have made. Whereas other people were saying they were actively looking to trade Odell Beckham. Uh, listen, my phone went off like Chinese New Year, you know, with all group texts and everyone, whether they were Giants fans or not, my phone was going crazy with everyone wondering about this. I, be, I think this is a great trade for the Giants. They, they're a six-win team at best with Odell Beckham. What's the point of this? Go win three games, get yourself another high draft pick, and now you have two. This, this team doesn't have one hole. This team has a half a dozen, you know, p- players that they need desperately. So now we have two picks within the first 17. I think this is a win-win trade, especially with the guy who wanted out and didn't fit the locker room culture. I so you know people are acting like this is uh, it was the apocalypse for the New York Giants. I think it's a smart move by Gettleman and a step in the right direction. Yeah, and then when you look at it from the from the Browns now. Jarvis Landry, from Miami, had 84 catches for 750 yards, then 110 catches, 94 catches, 112 catches. Now you're teaming with Beckham, who can also have, so you have two guys on your team that can both catch the ball 100 times, and they're best friends, and they're not going to, you know, what's so neat about this is wide receivers are divas. Wide receivers just care about themselves. However, these two guys, like when when they get the ball to Landry, Beckham's going to be happy. Mm -hmm. Like, this could be the only person they can throw the ball to that Landry's actually going to be happy, and it seems like Mayfield has a relationship. Now, this is toxic. You're putting a lot of these guys, Mayfield, Beckham together. Landry's a big personality right. too. <laughs> Landry's a personality. And then Nick Chubb is a running back who from Georgia, who came from Georgia, who, was, uh, who had a good year last year. He's going to be back. And then they signed Kareem Hunt, who last year, some people might thought could have been the best running back in football before he got suspended for domestic violence. Suspended this year now for eight games, mm-hmm. but he'll be back. Najoku is their tight end. This team is totally loaded. They have Callaway as their third wide receiver. I mean, I'm looking at a team, like I looked at the Steelers last year. This is a team that should score 30 points a game, every game. Like, it's like, you're going to have to look. And and then they have a great defense. Defensive uh, line might be the best in football. Uh, it's it's the, the, the Browns are here. I mean, for a team, under people understand, two years ago, they didn't win a game. Last year, they started mm. the Steelers, and they tied, and people were like, when they first won a game, there were celebrations in the street. <laughs> They're going from that now, and that shows you what happens in football. And some of these teams, like the Dolphins, that were waiting for Dolphins to get in the playoffs, or other these teams, like the Jets, some of these, they're like, how how can we turn our team around like that? Like, how can we go from zero wins to now Super Bowl? They are now besides fifth, Kansas City. Number five team. Yeah, right. Unbelievable. Yeah, fifth in Vegas, which I think is a little little preemptive. The defense was really good, and Denzel Ward, you know, people criticized that pick last year at number four overall. He looks good. So if they can get another piece on the defense, trading Peppers away is not great. You know, you still, you're going to need some safeties. And that was a decent trade for for the Giants, you know, to pick him up, who he's been injured, but that's still a first round, you know, first round talent. We're going to have Steve Hartman from the Browns I think in the next two weeks and not from the Browns but a big Cleveland fan and we had him on a couple weeks ago and I mean he's just he was blowing my phone up totally about how excited he was about these trades um, trade. Odell Beckham was second in the league over the last two years in um, broken tackles for a wide receiver and also yards after the catch second to only Golden Tate who <laughs> the Giants are, not that Golden Tate's anywhere near the level of receiver but it's kind of cute what the Giants did got rid of Collins brought in Jabril Peppers and now uh, this swap out the Giants you have two slot receivers I don't know how this is going to work um, there was another big splash in New York and it got overshadowed by all this and it's Le'Veon Bell well, right. I mean, Le'Veon Bell, f- f- remember, he didn't play last year. He sat out. The Steelers offered him uh, $70 million for an average of $14 million a year with $33 million guaranteed. They were going to make the highest paid running back in the game. He turned it down saying, I don't want running back money, money. I'm a wide receiver and a running back. I should get paid between wide receivers and what a quarterback. Well, 
he saw what his value is. I mean, it's the market is the market. Some mm-hmm. people might think their house is va- so valuable. They tell everybody, <laughs> I have the most, I have a $10, $2 million house. But when they go to sell their house and nobody wants to pay more than a million for it, you don't have a $2 million house. You have what someone's willing to pay for of it. And so Lavian Bell found out that what his market was, is four years, it was $52 million, $13 million a year. Um, his average, he go up to 61. But in the end, the Steeler, the Steeler offered. Now, remember, he sat out, he could have got $14.5 million last year just on a franchise, which he didn't want because he was worried about it. But the same thing is the Steelers offered him that he turned down. So he's lost. This probably could cost him like $14, $15 million in a year of playing. And he didn't even have the best, the highest running back. Todd Gurley of the Rams, five years, $57 million, $14.4 million. So he's earning even more. He didn't even set the bar for the running backs. You know, I understand this, and I heard something interesting about this. Who's the oldest elite running back in the league? It's him, and he's only—he's not that. Was he twenty-seven? But this is these guys. You know, they're elite till they're like 25, 26. This year out for Le'Veon Bell might prove, you know, a, a really bad thing for him in his career going forward. Well, right, and 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 the fact with running backs, we all know their names. They carry the ball. They're on everybody's fantasy teams, but they don't get paid the most. And I think that's what bothers them. They want to be paid the highest. Mm-hmm. They think they should. Um, there's twenty-five quarter. There's six running backs have twenty million dollar guaranteed. Twenty-five quarterbacks have twenty million dollars guaranteed. Mm-hmm. So you're really not getting guaranteed. You're con- you're, you're you're old when you're thirty. So it is a problem you're with Asian running backs. And Le'Veon Bell said, "I want to set the market. I want to set the bar." Well, we didn't set the bar, and it it was. I think he's had trouble with the Jets. You're going to have a rookie quarterback. Um, it's a smart move for the Jets to try, but I don't think this is a smart. I mean, there you'll just put too many men in the box, make Sam Darno, uh, you know, complete passes. I think it's a bad move for the Jets in terms of. But they really didn't pay that much. I think if they overpaid, but from the Steelers' mm-hmm. perspective, it now sort of makes the Steelers look better by saying, "Well, how much more could they offer?" I mean, they offered him a great contract. He didn't accept it. How much more could they have offered him? Um, let's uh, let's bring it here to South Florida, and this is. I don't want to say strange, Ira, but I, I really didn't think there was a landing spot for Ryan Tannehill. Nobody had the the ability to make him a starter, and he's not going to be a starter, but he might have a chance to fight with it uh, with Marcus Mariota in, in Tennessee. I don't think he's going to fight with Marcus Mariota for Tennessee, and they really they traded him for a seventh rounder in 2019 and a fourth rounder in 2020. Um, here's someone who was the eighth overall pick in the draft, and your starting quarterback, and someone you gave almost $100 million to. So it just shows you the value, again, what the value of the rest of the league uh, views in him. And they're really, it's just, a, it's it's not a, he couldn't find a starting job. So he's going to Mariota. But actually, Mariota's been getting hurt. He gets injured. He can't play a whole game, let he alone can't, a whole like, season. This might be, a, this is a good move for Tannehill. I mean, I'm sure that is, I'm sure the agents worked. This is something the agents worked. It was weird though. T- um, Dolphins are paying, I think his contract is like for seven, eight million dollars. The Dolphins are picking up most of the money on that, which is uh, unusual. But Tannehill, I mean, he was, there were the high hopes. I mean, he's been the face of the Dolphins for f- six years. Yeah. And and after the rookie season, everyone thought he's going to be great. I mean, he was averaging 4,000 yards, 25 touchdowns, only 12, 25 touchdowns, only 12 interceptions. But in 2017, he had that knee injury. Um, he came back, didn't really have a good year last year, and they just moved on from him. And they ended up benching him. You yes. know, it, it, it really didn't look good for him. Um Mariota is an interesting guy, and I don't know if they're completely committed to him. And I think part part of it is the injury concerns that this guy literally he's always questionable to return every game at halftime. You don't know if he's even coming out of the locker room, so I I, I don't think it's really a bad a bad move uh, for them. Dolphins, I agree, it's time to move on. I just don't know what what they do from here. Are they going to trade up? And, and, you know, because I think they picked thirteenth, so or twelfth. You're not going to get Kyler Murray or or Haskins there, so. Going to be interesting to see what happens in Miami, or if they just fold it in, 
for another year. Well, I think I think they they signed Ryan Fitzpatrick, and I'm a huge Ryan That's Fitzpatrick fan. And we talked about him uh, last year for Tampa Bay. He's one of the most interesting quarterbacks of all time. I mean, I, the fact that he's played, he's not only just played on, he's, they call him a journeyman. Journeyman means you're like a backup a lot of places. Well, he has started games for the Bengals, he, for the Bills. He's got contracts for the Bills. He got started games for the Rams. He got started games for the Houston Texans. He started games for the Jets. I mean, he was he was considered the starter and started games for Tampa Bay. And if he plays, I think, 14 games this year and yeah. starts, he's going to start <laughs> more games than any player in the NFL at quarterback besides Archie Manning. He'll pass Archie Manning yeah. and not make the playoffs. But it's amazing. And he's but he's not just like, oh, he's just an average player. He's been um, he's had. He's had he set records where he started the season with 400 yards and four touchdowns in two games. He's had three straight 400 yard games. He's been four times the AFC Player of the Week, three times the NFC Player of the Week. So he's been Player of the Week seven times. I mean, I like this guy. I think he's going to be great. I think the Dolphins want to tank, but he might actually do well for them. <laughs> but I'm, so I'm a big Ryan Fitzpatrick fan, and they're going to try to figure out whether this year um, what they draft or next year they get Tua, and the year after uh, uh, from uh, the the Clemson quarterback. Yeah, no, I, I do think that that's going to be that's what's going to happen here. Is I don't think they're going to go for it, and I think they're just going to. Not many teams after this year are going to need quarterbacks at that. You know, there's a lot of uh, teams that are that are pretty well off. Um, we don't want to talk about Tyrell Williams, but that was a sneaky little signing. I wasn't I wasn't anticipating that. Like nobody talked about that. He's a really good receiver. Oakland well, Oakland grabbed him. Yes, and that was that's again these teams: Cleveland, Oakland, smart moves. Tyrell Williams was the backup. Was the second uh, wide receiver in San Diego, but he actually put up big numbers: six four two oh five. He was undrafted rookie, but seventy catches for a thousand yards. Uh, four, and then for the one year and seven touchdowns. He's gonna help Antonio Brown. I mean, I, as much as I felt like if Antonio Brown went to the perfect landing. Spot. In that offense, I think with Derek Carr, quarterback, I like what Oakland's doing. I'm going to be surprised. I mean, they're a potential playoff team. I really do believe it. And uh, and considering how poorly they played last year and looked last year. Yeah, if the AFC West wasn't as good as it is with San Diego slash LA and also the Chiefs, they, they'd have a much easier shot. But uh, they're going to be a team that, that can probably score some points. It's Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel at 724. Mike Isolino joins us in just about five minutes to break down everything with your bracket. You're not going to want to miss this. Um, your boy Zion, he's healthy now, Ira, and Duke. I, I don't know how anybody could not have them winning their bracket. I think the one day I watched Zion, Federer, Nadal, and Tiger. I mean, my favorite. He Zion Williamson against Syracuse. He comes back. People say, well, he might play 15 minutes, 20 minutes. He's been out for four or five games. He needs to come back from his knee injury. He He's going to just work his way back. 13 for 13, 29 points, 14 rebounds, five steals. They beat Syracuse 84-72. Zion Williamson is, uh, I have a friend in the studio here who, and, who said that Zion's overrated. And I'm telling you, a lot of people still think Zion is overrated. They're, they feel he's a Blake Griffin at the best. I His defensive ability, he flies around the court. He's trying to get steals. He has everything. I love watching him play. He's the most exciting college basketball player I've ever seen. I mean, Michael Jordan was not like this in college. Like, no. Michael Jordan was just a complimentary piece. That's why he was drafted third in the draft mm-hmm. behind Sam Bowie and Akeem Olajuwon. But he was tremendous. They beat Syracuse. On, and then and then on uh, – on Friday night, they play UNC, and they won 74-73. It was interesting. Before that, they've had a hundred, the last 100 meetings between Duke and UNC, 50 and 50. That just shows what kind of rivalry this is. And uh, the North Carolina was trying to beat them for the first time, uh, three times since 74-75. But Zion had 16 points in the first half, five rebounds, actually hit two threes. It was tied 44-44. And then 
Um, and Dukes did something different. Cam Reddish, their other big star, they put him on the bench in the second half. Mm. They brought Goldwire in. Uh, it was it was amazing. And Nassar Little played for North Carolina, the one, the other big recruit, the one who a lot of these coaches are going to jail for because they're trying to bribe him. And if you looked at how he plays, he's probably not worth it. I mean, people should be getting <laughs> Zion money, not Nassar Little money. And uh, but it was interesting at the end of the game. Zion uh, was getting um, Luke May had that shot and Zion was flying around the court blocked that shot forced another shot at miss he gets the ball finally give it to him clear out he misses the shot he had like one on five <laughs> he misses the shot gets the rebound puts it back up and uh, UNC didn't call timeout and uh, they missed the shot at the end but Zion again amazing game 13 for 19 31 points 11 rebounds uh, just tremendous no, no signs of ill effects at all from that knee injury and they went on Saturday night and uh, beat Florida State in the championship game. But that's why then when the when the brackets come out, number one seed. I mean, they had to. I know Duke has had losses when Zion's been out, but you could not put this Duke team as anything but the number one seed in the tournament. Yeah, and then, you know, they went on, they beat Florida State, um, you know, a little bit later in the week. Tennessee, you know, I always talk about how I, I, I will root for Tennessee, and I, I've got a really soft spot for the Vols. They, they're a really soft two-seed, I think, Ira. Even, uh, you know, even with some wins last week, they just, to me, don't look as good as they did at the beginning of the season. And I think Arizona's got the— uh, not, uh, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, th- that that one bracket is just easy, especially with Tennessee uh, as a two, and Virginia should be able to coast through that. I like Tennessee more than you like Tennessee. I felt like they were struggling in the middle of the year and had the losses. I'm starting to think I lo- that Kentucky game was real exciting, back and forth the whole way, and they were losing. Kentucky had this game won, and at the end of the game, show Adder- Admiral, I love this name, Admiral Schofield, and <laughs> uh, and Grant Williams both hit threes, and they were because Kentucky was up 74-69, and then they and Tennessee ended up taking that lead. But I. I like Tennessee. I think they're. I think Virginia's a better team in that bracket. But I do like Tennessee a lot. No, I, it's something I don't. I don't think that they're good. I just think that you know Virginia definitely got a a weaker draw than than some of these other number one seeds. Um, not, not that I take away from Tennessee. I just don't think that they're 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 a threat in that in that bracket. So I don't know. We'll see how it pans out. What are the other uh, games you're kind of focusing on? Um, you know, from the last week. Well, I think when Vill- seeing Villanova beat Season Hall to win the Big East tournament, it, it, there's a Villanova is sitting there, and we're looking at them at the as a as a six seed. Mm-hmm. They won the national championship two of the last three years. Jay Wright <laughs> knows how to coach, and there's players that have played on these teams that played last year. So as much as Villanova's had a very up and down year, they lost to Penn. They've lost to games they shouldn't have. They're a six seed, but you're really going to discount this team that no. has showed the six, uh, how to win in this tournament now two times in the last three years. So I thought that they look that Season Hall game was very good. Uh, Michigan State beat Michigan, and again. And two teams that people really like. It was interesting. The Big Ten, Michigan State wins the Big Ten regular season, wins the Big Ten uh, tournament, and they're still a number two seed. People are a little upset about that. They had some really bad losses this year in the Big Ten, losing to Penn State, stuff like that. I, I, I felt like that they were seeded right. I think they were glad to have a two seed. Um, and Iowa State beat Kansas. So this year, Kansas does not win the Big 12 title, and it also doesn't win the tournament title. Um, and it's really a down year. They're seeded Fourth, it's their lowest seed in like 14 years. Really, that's amazing. Yeah, so. no, they're, they're they're always up there. Um, you know, with the Michigan State, where, I, I did hear people saying, oh, you know, that this isn't where, where. Where did you want to seed them? Did you want to seed them as a number one seed? Who who are you going to take off as a number one seed? I, I personally uh, don't really get it, but either way, this is why we don't do that. Uh, we just get to sit back and be reactionary after the fact. It's 729. This is Iron Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Just about a minute away from Mike Isolino joining us to uh, talk about everything in the world of uh, college basketball. And this is really the most exciting time of the year as we get kicked off uh, on 
Thursday with all the with all the real games. <laughs> Ira, any other uh, before we bring Mike on? Any other um, upsets or anything that you've got in your bracket that we should be watching out for? We're gonna go to Mike in a second, and then we'll come back and get some of mine. But I I tell you, it is well. First of all, I'm wearing a Temple hat and a Temple shirt. Yes, you are. Because my a friend, Coach Fran Dunphy, is going to coach tomorrow night. Now, you want to see a great basketball game? Like, you're sitting there on Tuesday. Like, what should I watch? 9 o'clock, turn that game on. It's on True TV. So you're going to figure out. Don't just wait till 9 to find out where True TV is on your. This is like the time of year. The only people, they watch True TV. Turn that on. Watch that game. Two really good teams. And when I mean good teams, I mean these are teams that potentially could get to the to the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight. That's how good they are. I mean, Belmont and Temple are amazing. They play The winner plays Maryland. Belmont's sneaky good. And I think everyone, I see everyone picking this winner to beat their 11 seed to beat Maryland at six. So the winner of this game, this is going to be a great game. It's in Dayton. It's in these playoff games. What they say, what's a playing game? It's a 68-64, meaning that they took four extra uh, number 11 seeds and they took four extra, uh, uh, or two, two extra number 11 seeds and two extra 16 seeds, and mm. they have to play in to get into the main draw and you know i was kind of against that when they first um you know first started that a few years ago we'll talk more about that in a moment but let's bring in our, our buddy mike Isolino. mike thank you so much uh, you're a veteran here at iron sports i gotta say does it get annoying this time of year with your phone just blowing up with all your friends wanting uh sleeper <laughs> sleeper bracket picks uh, no 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 uh you know what we're still playing in the cit tournament so uh you know any phone call that's not essential, either recruiting or uh, uh, to our game, directly related to our game, I haven't taken it in the last two days. So. <laughs> Ira, what do you got for Mike? Well, Mike, you know, as you said, you lost to—we talked about last week how very close loss against Fairleigh Dickinson in the semifinals of the Northeast Conference Tournament. And it's interesting, you're playing—we we, we, we folk, everybody's focused on these 68 teams that make the tournament, but there's 32 teams playing the NIT tournament, 32 teams playing the CIT. So we see all these names, but there's other tournaments going on, not just the NCAA tournament right now. Yeah, no question about it. You know, there's some obviously good teams that have been left out of the NCAA tournament, especially in the smaller conferences because they only get the one bid. Um, so there's some good teams in those smaller conferences that, uh, you know, are happy to continue to play, whether it's in the NIT or CIT. And, uh, you know, I think that at this time of the year in March, everybody focuses on the NCAA tournament. But I, I think in general, people still like to see college basketball go on for a while. So when you were at St. Francis and, and you make the tournament and win the playing game and then you, you play Arizona and almost beat Arizona – what for these teams for these upsets so that are trying to, these teams that are trying to pull these amazing and you're going to see it. We, it's hard to tell which one it's going to be, but someday on Thursday and Friday, people are going to like, oh my gosh, turn your TV on. This is going to be. Do you think it's easier for a team to be coasting like five or six points back more in a game to try to pull an upset, or to actually get that lead early on that top seed and like try to hold that lead wire to wire? Well, I think I think he's you know, wire to wire best way to go we saw that last year when umbc did that with virginia they put them on their heels and kept them on their heels the whole game and then every time virginia made a run it went from 16 or 18 down to maybe 10 or 11 but they could never get over that hump you know if it's a four or five point game these good teams always end up going on a run at some point um that's why they're really good teams and they have really good players and you know if you're up 16 17 or and they go on a run, they can only cut it to eight. But if, you know, if you're up five or six or even down five or six and they go on a run, you could either be down 10 or 12 real quick, and then it's real difficult. You dug a hole. So the more points you can get ahead, the better it would be. 
And before we start going just in the brackets in general, what, in terms of which of these teams, these teams that like Wofford and Liberty, who we have not, they haven't been on national television, no one's watching their games. Um, which of these teams do you really like and that these lower seeded, not some aren't even that lower, Buffalo and Nevada are actually higher seeded, but teams that not, don't normally on ESPN at prime time that we, that we don't normally see, which ones do you really like this year in the tournament? Well, I think, I think uh, Belmont is very, very good. I think that the stuff they run is very difficult uh, to prepare for. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, they're a really good team. I think the team that could surprise people is Oregon because they're a 12 seed, and that sounds kind of silly that a, that a Pac-12 team would be a 12 seed, but um, I think they're probably playing their best basketball of the season right now. Um, you know, I'm obviously a little biased to them. My good friend is assistant coach there, but, you know, he's very confident about how well they've been playing. But they have a tough matchup, uh, obviously, with Wisconsin to start. Um, but there's some other there's some other smaller schools, you know, even though, you know, Buffalo is a higher seed at the six. Um, you know, last year I picked them to beat Arizona. Um, this year I'm not sure that they can uh, continue that trend, but they got a good team. Um, what about like Wofford? I mean, that's a school. They're in the bottom of that draw in the Midwest. Uh, they play Seton Hall in the first round. Um, they're a seven seed. I mean, people look at that and like, how is Wofford a seven seed? But I mean, they're a really good basketball team. But exactly, what 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 have you heard about Wofford? I mean, they they obviously uh, you know have played well all season long. You know, to have uh, 29 wins is incredible. Um, you know, that's a team that can come in and and really spread you out and and, and make shots. Um, you know, they have some really, really good wins early in the season. Um, you know, I think they have the opportunity to get by Seton Hall, but I'm not sure they'll be able to get by Kentucky in the second round. And what about some of the, the major teams? I mean, I just we talked earlier about this before you came on about Kansas. This is the lowest seed at four. They've been in 14 years. Um, what are some name seeds that you like? Uh, like a Kansas that have not been playing well this year, up to what people are used to them, that might be ripe for an upset or, or won't advance. Where someone who like looks at the draft say, "Oh, it, at the bracket, oh Kansas, I'll just put Kansas in the in the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight when they're really not that good. Maybe they got seated a little higher than just because on name recognition." Um, you know, I think I think Kansas State being a four seed, they're going to have a tough tough uh, go because they got to either play Wisconsin or Oregon in the second round. And then they'll have probably number one seed uh, Virginia. Um, you know, and they're a four seed. I think Kansas State. Uh, it's going to be very, very difficult for them. Um, where I think Kansas on the other side can can get out to the Sweet 16. You know, they can win that first game, and then they'll have uh, you know either New Mexico State or Auburn. Uh, I think they can get by those games and get to the Sweet 16. I think Kansas is. Uh, I think Kansas as a four seed has an easier draw than a Kansas State as a four seed. Um, you know, I think that's one of the things. And I think somebody team that could, that could surprise some teams, seven-seeded Louisville. Um, you know, we played them this year. I think they're a good team. Um, you know, they're not a consistent team, but they're, they're a tough team, and they can, they can move forward too. And you guys played Purdue this year. And, and there's little, they're, they're a three-seed. They're playing Old Dominion in the first round, and then they play the winner of Villanova-St. Mary's. So what about, what about look, you're seeing Purdue up, for, up close? Well, Purdue has played better during you know during this stretch. They went on a bad stretch in the middle of the season. They played really well down the stretch, um, you know. But I think one of the things, the problems with Purdue is at this time of the year is they're not real deep. So if you beat if you beat an Old Dominion team, then you got to come right back with Villanova, um, 
which I think they're capable of doing because Nova is not as uh, tall, long, and as athletic as them, uh, but Villanova spreads you out. Purdue also, you know, it's one of those teams, I think, that has a chance to get to the Sweet 16, uh, beating a Villanova team that obviously has won two of the last three national championships. So what do you like in terms of, I mean, we don't have to go to the finals exactly yet, but in terms of the South and Midwest and East and West, which teams do you like going through and at least getting to the Sweet 16? Well, I think I think in, in, in the South region, I think, uh, you know, I really like Tennessee. I think they, they, they can obviously get to, you know, a chance to go to the Final Four. Uh, you know, obviously they'll have to probably get through uh, Virginia, Um that that would be my two teams the opportunity you know in the elite eight uh virginia and uh tennessee down there in the midwest you know i think kentucky is is really good but i don't know um if they're going to be able to handle uh carolina you know i think kentucky and carolina will play for that you know elite eight spot uh, i know that's a one and two uh down in the uh west um i really think that michigan has a chance to 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 go forward i don't i don't uh i think they have a good path where you know they're looking at montana and then either nevada or florida who haven't played that well down the stretch especially nevada and then on the other side of that you got a team like texas tech who has been solid all year but uh you know i think michigan has a chance to get to the final four they're in with gonzaga and i think michigan has a great chance to go there they've really played well uh pretty much all season um you know i haven't got the opportunity to see gonzaga as much because they're out west um so obviously they're they're strong, but in the East, uh, I think everybody's picking picking Duke uh, to play Michigan State in that uh, Elite Eight to get to the Final Four. Okay, and is there any besides you talked about the Oregon upset Wisconsin? Any other games that you see as? I mean, that's the one thing. I mean, when people pick their brackets, they're always trying to pick the upsets, and there are there aren't as many upsets as people think there are. I mean, there are the upsets. You just have to pick the right ones. The ones who actually pick chalk actually have a better chance that will have a better bracket than the ones who don't pick chalk. But in the first round, there are some upsets, and then usually the the top seeds make it. But is there any other upsets that any other teams that you think might uh, might be there that we should pick for the upset? Um, you know, if I'm looking at upsets, uh, you know, I think think either an Arizona State or St. John's could upset Buffalo uh, early. Um, you know, I think that's one of the games that I would look at and and be like, hey, that's there's a possibility right there. Um, you know, this year it just seems like uh, some of the some of the stronger teams. Um, you know, if you consider Iowa and Cincinnati, you know. Iowa being a 10, I think they can get by Cincinnati. Iowa's a pretty good team. Um, you know, some of those games. I, I, but I don't see too many out there that uh, that I'm sure they're going to happen. <laughs> I'm sure they're going to happen, but I just don't see them this year. And I guess for the final question, Mike, is what what do you think for the national championship, final four in the national championship? Do you? I mean, everyone, I think Duke is the heaviest favorite number one seed uh, in the last six years. Um, but do you see Duke winning it? And, uh, and you know, is it going to be chalk with the, with the four top seeds? Or, or who do you see going into the final four and then winning it all? Well, I, I think, you know, Duke is going to be there. I think Tennessee will be there. Um, you know, I'm going to pick Michigan to get there. Uh, in UNC, and I think I'd love to see a Duke-UNC uh, fourth, fourth game. I think it would be awesome to see. 
<laughs> I would love to see that game. Um, that would be probably one of the most expensive championship game tickets ever because you got to think that everyone's going to come in for that one. But uh, that's a, that's great. Well, anyway, Mike, I know you're real busy. This is a you know, as I said, you're out recruiting. You're actually coaching in the say your game tomorrow is against Cornell in the CIT tournament. Is that correct? Yep. CIT tomorrow against Cornell at seven. All right. Well, this is I'm, you're talking. You've talked to uh, Robert uh, Robert Morris's assistant coach, Mike Isolino. Mike, thanks a lot for coming on the show. I appreciate it, and uh, good luck tomorrow night. All right. Thanks, Ira. Always good being on. Always a pleasure having Mike Isolino here on Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies Channel at seven forty one. A Mike Balsamo. Um, let's change gear and go to the NBA, Ira. I don't think that there's someone in in any sport right now. That's as much of a head case as Russell Westbrook. I mean, this guy is all over the place, and I, I just don't know what, what's going through this guy's head. Uh, tell us what you think and, and what's going on. Well, I think Russ, he's now got a 16th technical foul. And there was an incident in Utah uh, last week where a fan heckled him. He yelled back at the fan. The fan did say a racist comment, and uh, the fan's now been permanently banned from the NBA games. And now another fan has been permanently banned, and they're trying. This whole started for two days. If you listen to Sports Talk Radio, the whole issue about uh, fan interaction with players and what they should have. And and Russell is he's been he's been he's been known to go after and with technicals. He seems to be really trying so hard this year, yelling at referees and now clearly yelling at fans. Um, my comment about this is I, again, I think that fans are too vicious anywhere. I no, watch it in high school games and sixth grade games. They're yelling at referees. I think people should cheer for their own team. I think that fans, I, as much as people say, is this so terrible for the players? If you're sitting on the upper deck of an Eagle game and you're wearing a Giants jersey, you're going to hear more than whatever player and you're not going to have any security up there. So I think it's a problem with fan, how fans are screaming at games and yelling at others instead of just rooting for teams. So I think that became one of the biggest issues. I mean, the NBA is really concerned because of the malice in the palace, which happened in 2004 when Ron Artest uh, and uh, the rest of the Pacers were in Detroit and went into the stands and actually started fights with fans. Nine <laughs> spectators heard. Two were taken to the hospital. Our test was suspended 86 games. Um, it actually ruined the Pacers were on the, were going to be one of the favorites to win the championship that year, ruined their entire year, uh, and was the total black eye in the NBA. And I think that's what concerned you. Do not want to have this interaction where that when and Russell Westbrook was fine. He should not be screaming and threatening to hurt a fan, no matter what the fan says. There's security there. So that became an issue. Uh, and that was a big, uh, as again, a big topic of, of sports talk conversation all week. Uh, but I think it's uh, it's something that the NBA is trying to deal with. I mean, the owner of the Jazz went out and spoke to the fans and said, look, be positive fans in general. Um, but I like to see this forever. I, I'm shocked. I said, when I go to like uh, fifth grade games, sixth grade games, I can't believe how people yell at these referees. I It's just awful. And... They're yelling, and so I'm not surprised that they're going to yell at players when they're spending hundreds of dollars for a seat. They're going to yell the same way, and I think that fans should not be yelling and saying terrible things to players. The entitlement of people is absolutely insane. It's it's like when um, you know people get pulled over by the cops and they start screaming, "I, I pay your salary." No, you don't. <laughs> you pay taxes, and you're probably breaking the law, and that's why you're in this situation. And I think fans are the same way. Well, I'm I'm paying to be here. That doesn't allow you to do whatever you want. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. You know, what? a lot of people think that that Golden State is not a better team with Boogie Cousins on the floor. And that's been somewhat true this year, but uh, he probably had his best game of the season uh, the other night. Well, Golden State had a great week. And this is now when we're talking, there's about 12 games left in the season. And we're not going to really talk NBA in the next couple of weeks because it's, it is basketball. But, wow. I mean, they go to Houston. They won 106-104. Cousins had 27 points, 7 assists, 8 rebounds. Curry played well. Durant did not play this week. They had two big wins. They beat the Thunder 
they beat the Thunder, and then they beat uh, they beat the Thunder, and they beat uh, Houston uh, with Durant both out. Now Durant's coming back this to this time uh, tonight for tonight's game, but uh, Cousin now Cousins got hurt. But then the Golden State Warriors signed Andrew Bogut. If everyone remembered him, he was their center on their first championship team. He's a great player. He's playing in Australia for the past uh, two years. So Crazy. it's gonna it's just the rich get richer. Golden State looks like they're playing great, and uh, it was very is a good week for Golden State. Uh, Miami Heat, I know you're a big fan, and we talk about it every week. They're the most difficult team to know what you're getting night in and night out. Difficult, and because they had Milwaukee, it was the number one seed, they were down 20 points, and then they came back 62-42, and they outscored the Heat by 35 in the second half. It was the biggest comeback in Milwaukee history, and the funny stat is that of the last 100 times that a team's trailed by 20 points and then won by that many, it was, it was 0 for 100, <laughs> the first time that happened. And the Heat had been 51-0 and when they'd been leading by 20 points at the half. So it was, uh, that, was, that was a very bad loss for the Heat. But they came back on Sunday and beat the Hornets, and the Hornets are competing for the last spot. So they had a really good win. Drogic and Wade both played well. Um, but this week's key for the, the Heat. They're at Oklahoma City, at San Antonio, at Milwaukee, and then at Washington. They only have four home games left, nine away. Now, they're only a game and a half ahead in terms of making the playoffs. This is going to be crucial. They have not been a great away team, and uh, they're going to be an underdog at Oklahoma City, underdog at San Antonio, and underdog at Milwaukee. So we'll see what happens. Um, what about the uh, the saga that just keeps on giving in L.A. Uh, with, with LeBron and crew? I have to say I was totally wrong. I thought that they were going to make a run for it. They keep losing. <laughs> They're 2-10 in their last 12 games. Um, they beat Chicago. They come back. And then the Knicks, who are purposely trying to lose games, doing whatever they possibly can to lose games, and they suddenly could not lose to the Lakers. It's Crazy. unbelievable. Um, and LeBron... 33 points, 8 assists, 6 rebounds, 0 for 6 from 3s, but he got a shot blocked at the end of the game to win the game. Clyde Frazier went on and said he doesn't Mm -hmm. see LeBron trying. I mean, LeBron doesn't sit with his team on his bench a lot of times. Like, LeBron, I've been to hundreds hundreds of LeBron games. He does. He's not like other players in terms of he does sit away from his team. But when they're winning, it's just LeBron being LeBron. But now it's... I cannot see. I think this past two weeks is when the tide of the country turned against LeBron. Everyone is on his case. Yeah. Announcers saying he's lost it. He's not playing great. He's this. He's if his stats, as funny as it is, he's averaging 27.5 points, eight assists, eight and a half rebounds, two threes, shooting 51%. It's almost exactly what he had last year. And last year, when he took this team to the NBA Finals, we were saying this is the best LeBron's ever played. So his stats are like it. I know he's not playing great defense. His team's not great around him. But it's like LeBron didn't go just, he's not. He's not uh, 15 points a game, LeBron. He's still 27 and a half points. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I like LeBron Jordan over LeBron, those things. But the fact is, I think people are just piling on LeBron, which I've never seen. Uh, it'll be interesting. He's now going to not make the playoffs. He's going to be off from April, May, June, July, and August. Uh, he's going to first time in eight years. He's going to have all this time to rest and recover and practice. Dying to see what he comes back for next year. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's not going to know what to do with himself. <laughs> it just never happens. Uh, at 748, it's Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira, it seems like uh, the West is in the books. We know how this is going to shape up. Well, Golden State, Denver, Denver, uh, Houston, Portland, Oklahoma City, San Antonio, Utah, and the Clippers. It's over. I mean, there's no one else. The Kings are six back. The playoffs are set. It's really for positioning right now. And and, and the teams are so even. You, from two, besides Golden State, two through seven, uh, I think the Rockets will be the two seed and, uh, and and take that. I mean, the three seed. But if they play in the semifinals, Utah, um, Denver, they'll probably win that game. But it's. I was ex- I was hoping we're going to have an exciting end of the NBA season in the West, but that's not happening. 
but the East should be exciting. I mean, the Bucks are in first place, but the Heat are battling for that last playoff spot against the Magic, So, uh, and the Hornets also. So it'll be interesting to see if they can get into that. Ira, you know, we just got some uh, breaking news from our uh, Chief of Master Controls, Mike Scooter Marone. Blake Bortles going to the Rams. Interesting. I didn't see that coming. Um, again, these teams are looking for a good backup quarterback, someone who can step in who's played. Um, I'm not surprised by that. Uh, they, the Goff um, is, has had a history of some injuries, and I think it was a situation where if you have, the, if you have a very good football team, besides the Patriots, if you have a very, very good football team, you'd like to have a backup quarterback because you don't want your season to go off the rails for a game or two if your quarterback has to sit out. So if Blake Bortles is the, he knows how to manage games. He's played a lot of games for Jacksonville. Um, and it's sort of such, we talked about this all, you know, the last year, Bortles, Tannehill, these Florida quarterbacks. The only one who stayed was Jameis Winston. And yeah. so I think Jameis, <laughs> so we'll see what happens after this year with him. You know, before we uh, move on to golf, since we're in the backup, uh, backup category anyways, we didn't talk about it before. I think Teddy Bridgewater is kind of a wimp for st- for staying in, in New Orleans. If you're a, if you're an, a, a quarterback in the NFL, you should want to start for a team. That's just that's just how I feel about the situation. Now, who's this? Drew Brees is playing at a Pro Bowl level. Is he gonna just gonna hang it up after the season? I don't think so. And even if he does, now Teddy Bridgewater hasn't thrown a meaningful pass in the NFL in, in a half a decade. I well, think he was crazy to stay. The Dolphins had offered him a starting the starting job, or at least to compete for the starting job with the Dolphins. He knew Ryan Tannehill was going to be gone, and uh, he's he from was Miami. High round, high round draft pick for Minnesota. Got injured, major injuries, but people he seemed to be on the mark. This was the only spot he could have gone to start, and he turned it down. And whether the Dolphins, maybe the Dolphins didn't want him. I, there was we got to learn more about this. How much the Dolphins wanted him, how much they were trying to pay him. Uh, but I was surprised by it. I really thought Teddy Bridgewater was coming to the Dolphins, but they got Ryan Fitzpatrick, and Ryan Fitzpatrick wants to be a starting quarterback. So don't worry about that. You know, I, I had a lot of friends, you know, sticking up. Oh no, it's a great, great backup gig. You're the heir apparent. He's not necessarily retiring, so let's not uh, you know let, let's not count out Drew Brees after this season, especially if they go on a deep playoff run again. Um, I, I was I was kind of surprised that you didn't make it up to Ponte Vedra Beach. Uh, this is a golf course I've always wanted to see, Sawgrass, and this tournament didn't disappoint. Rory McIlroy had been knocking on the door. I didn't realize how good he'd been in his last eight starts. I mean, everything's like a like a top eight finish or much better, you know, seconds and fourths, and he just played really really well this weekend. He played well this weekend, and the most importantly, closed on Sunday. He did what he had to do. He got two birdies in the last four holes. He was down. uh, uh, Furyk had the lead. It was that Sunday was crazy. It was hard because I'm watching so many other sports trying to follow, and it's difficult um, because it's it's a big time of year. But uh, Jim Furyk, surprisingly, was (laughs) won this tournament. And McElroy came and and had his one with 16 under. Furyk was 15 under, and Tommy Fleetwood with 13 under. But it was uh, it was it was the he he made he finally had a good final round and did what he had to do to win. He had played in the last six events. He had been six or better. He was played in the final group of three of his last six events. So he'd been playing great. Uh, this really sets up well for the Masters. I mean, he yeah, is. I this he's he, I would be shocked. It would be shocked if he's moved to be the favorite of the Masters. Then it, I mean, he probably rightfully should be at this point. The way he's playing, if he keeps going for the next, uh, you know, is it three weeks till the Masters? No reason that, that he wouldn't be. But I watched uh, Tiger. That that was Tiger was rolling. I thought he was playing well, and then on 17, that famous yeah. hole, he hits two balls in the water and goes to a quadruple bogey, and that sort of set him back the rest of the tournament. I mean, he he, he didn't finish that bad. He finished in 30th place. He finished uh, six under, but without that, I mean, that that 
that that uh, force seven on the par. Th- that was the famous Island Green. He not only hit the ball in the water, and then on the uh, for the next shot, he bounced it right off the green in the water. And it was like you could just look at him. This he just didn't have that same energy the rest of the tournament. I mean, anytime you put a box on your scorecard, it's not good. When there's <laughs> another box around that box, that's when you start getting real worried. Looks like one of my scorecards on a uh, Saturday or a Sunday. <clears throat> Ira, what's going on in tennis? Well. You know, it is amazing how much is going on. Tennis has two major events, Indian Wells in America this time of year. So Indian Wells was two weeks. There's a a tournament. And we almost had Nadal versus Federer for the 30th time. uh, uh, But Nadal, who played Karen... Kachanov, who's a very good Russian, uh, who he beat in uh, the U.S. Open in a great match. Uh, Nadal won 7-6, 7-6, hurt his knee during the match, and then an hour before the Federer match. I mean, I'm waiting to watch the Federer match, and then an hour before I get text, not not going to happen. And it might never happen. I mean, they've been the greatest because who knows? Federer might retire at the end of the year. So, And then he pulled out of Miami. So he's not going to yeah. play in the, when we come down in Miami. Uh, Dominic Thiem, who I really like, he's from Austria. He is one of these great young players. He's 25 years old, seventh in the world, and he ended up beating Federer in three sets in the final. So, uh, it, but then it sets up for Miami, and it's going to be interesting. It's the first year. Uh, it starts this week. It's the first year in Fort Lauderdale since for 30 years in Key Biscayne, um, and it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see. I can't wait to go down this week. If not this week, this weekend to the stadium to see what it looks like. They're playing in a Hard Rock Stadium. Uh, it's not going to have that feel that Key Biscayne. A lot of the people that go to Key Biscayne said, I'm never going to go to Fort Lauderdale for the game. So uh, the matches, it's going to be very interesting just to see what the feel of the stadium is going to be. Why did they move? They moved because they couldn't get uh, Key Biscayne, the, uh, the tournament, IMG, who owns the tournament, wanted to upgrade the facilities at Key Biscayne. And the people that run Key SP Biscayne didn't want, or didn't want somebody, a trust, the person who actually, the family that owned Key Biscayne in the first place, uh, did not want to permit them to do that. And they just were forced it. Some people thought they were going to Orlando, but Stephen Ross uh, did, worked out a deal with IMG to put it in Hard Rock Stadium. And it's going to be really weird because it's going to be weird to see a tennis stadium in a football stadium. Yeah. And I, 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 just, I you'll hear next week. I'll give you some comments on that. Can't wait for that. Uh, we got about five minutes to go here on Ira on Sports, the True Oldies channel of Mike Balsamo. Um, let's talk more basketball. It's what everyone's discussing is is the NCAA. I want to know how your brackets look and what you're predicting here because this, like you said, and Mike said, there's not as many upsets as you think, but they do happen and they get so much publicity. And when you pick one in your bracket, you feel like a superhero. So what are you looking at? Well, on the upset level, and I guess, and that's the thing is that when people are picking their elite eight and their final four, I mean, it, it's amazing how much chalk happens. I mean, yeah. in terms of these top seeds, uh, and and again, it, and and everyone's like, oh, and everyone wants to pick. I mean, the third seed wins eighty five percent of the time. Uh, the fourth seed wins seventy five percent of the time. So, I mean, it's not like these upsets. People think I'm going to pick all these upsets. It's only a few of the upsets. You have to pick which teams you think are playing well. And I look at see who have they played any big team names before and won. And then, as Mike mentions, the Oregon's who actually won the Pac twelve tournament. They're playing great. They're playing Wisconsin, who lost earlier in the Big Ten tournament. So you have a team that's playing really well at the end of the year mm-hmm. against a team that's maybe not playing as well. Um, I think at games again that Belmont Temple game because I think that winner beats Maryland. Uh, I, a lot of people like that Liberty beat Alabama and UCLA. They're the 12th seed. They're playing Virginia Tech. Um, Virginia Tech's really good, too. But Liberty has shown that they can play with these bigger teams mm-hmm. and uh, these big-name teams. So I sort of like that pick. I like—this uh, is a weird pick. I, Murray State over Marquette. Uh, 
uh, Jay Moran is the big star that everyone's talking to. He might be one of the top picks in the draft. Uh, and uh, Murray State has they up they, you know Murray State lost to Auburn by five. They know how to play with these top teams. That could be another big upset. Uh, and I think I, I think another upset would be. Um, perhaps, as, he, as Mike said, the uh, um, Cincinnati game in terms of Iowa over Cincinnati. Cincinnati is probably not as good as people think they are. But I like Murray State a lot, and I like the Belmont Temple winner to, to go forward in that. What are you thinking about Final Four? Um, I'm having a really difficult time not taking one seeds. Obviously, uh, Mike Isolino, who joined us earlier, he thinks Tennessee can oust Virginia. I don't seem to see it. Um, Gonzaga too is another one of these kind of like I don't want to say a mystery team. We know what they are, but there's probably you know Michigan's not going to be an easy pushover if that does come down to it. Are you taking chalk to the, to the Final Four? I like Virginia. I saw them live. I mean, this is a team that the last two years have played great. They brought they're like what everyone says. I like these senior teams like Nevada and Buffalo. They're they're mid majors, but they have players together. Virginia has played together. Plus, they're really really good. And yeah. they were upset last year, and people were afraid. But they play Duke tough. They're smart. They're well coached. Um, I really like I like Virginia going through uh, the South. I mean, I think that Villanova could be a problem with them, and I do think Tennessee could be a problem. But I still think Virginia gets by them. Uh, and then in the Midwest, I, I really like I like North Carolina. I, I think North Carolina is playing. They they just play so fast uh, with so much energy. They're going to score ninety to hundred points, and they're going to just say, "Can you can you match us?" And these teams aren't going to be able to play with them. They have a, they have depth. Uh, and speed and size, they have everything, and experience. I mean, Luke May is senior, so they, they really combine everything that you're looking for in a team. Kentucky looked very good in the SEC championship game, yeah. but I still like Carolina over Kentucky in that. Yeah, but I, I agree with you too, but one, you know, I've got pretty much all one-twos down to the Elite Eight. I'm a little bit worried about um, you know Michigan State. I don't think they can beat Duke, but this is a team. I'm never counting out Tom Izzo in one of these tournaments. So that's something that if I had to maybe pick one, I take Duke losing. I know that that's unpopular opinion, yeah, but Duke's I know you said at the beginning of the season, there's no way they don't. There's win at no all. way Duke, and it's going to be fun. They're going to have a game. Their second game could be against UCF, uh, which would be uh, which we talked about in terms of their star player last year, uh, the seven six player, and that should be interesting to see in that game uh, at Taco uh, Taco Fall, mm. and that would be neat to see Duke Zion Williamson and Taco. Fall, two of the biggest names in college basketball uh, mat- matching up. Uh, but I, re- I like Duke coming out of there. I, I think Michigan could they could get upset. There's another upset that I didn't mention. I, you know, at the Ivy League has actually been winning games in this tournament, and Yale is playing LSU. LSU is in disarray. Their coach uh, was forced to be uh, sus- was suspended for the rest of the year with the pay because of the scandals, um, and they had not been playing well since then. They're a three seed. Yale's a 14 seed, but Yale might Yale might cause LSU trouble, and and I, that could be another upset. And then the Gonzaga region, I, that's the one I'm struggling with. I don't think Gonzaga. I saw Gonzaga play. I saw them play Loyola Marymount. I'm not impressed. They lost to St. Mary's in the final of their tournament. They looked absolutely terrible um i think they're going to get through their side in terms of the, the elite eight but down below i don't know if texas tech does it nevada michigan i just think somebody but i can't figure out which team comes out of there um if i say anything maybe texas tech beats gonzaga and and makes it to the final four but i think i have chalk everywhere i have duke virginia and carolina and then maybe a texas tech coming out i get murray state beating marquette and that's going to be one of my my picks early and then if they do win i could see them beating fsu um, you know, in the next round. So Murray State's my my one surprise team, lower-ranked team that's actually moving on. But, yeah, for the most part, I'm with you, I. Uh, we're just about out of time. Um, so what are you doing this week? What's your plans? 
Well, I would hope. I think if Tennessee, if Te- if Temple beats Belmont, I'd probably go up to Jacksonville uh, for the tournament on uh, thir- on uh, Thursday go and see Saturday, Coach and some Dumphy and see those tournaments. I mean, Jacksonville, there is some. The, the, it would be Maryland Temple. I could get to see the LSU Yale game there, and it's fun going to the. It, there's it's good things and bad things. I mean, it's great to sit there and watch all the games, uh, but on, on the other hand, it is neat to be there and watch uh, watch two games in the afternoon and two games at night. Now, if they have two different tickets, but to watch four basketball games in one day in one spot. That's pretty cool. It, so, it, no, it's not a bad gig. At all. I've never is, done that. But this is this is a great time of the year, and it's going to be fun to watch these teams. And we've talked a lot about college basketball on my show uh, the past few months, and it'll be great to see how these teams. I mean, unfortunately, this is what basketball is. People just start paying attention this time of year, and uh, but this is we're here, and now we're going to talk college basketball, and we're going people are going to watch it, and it's exciting. It's amazing how it brings in non-sports fans. It's, Absolutely. It's, it's like the Super Bowl in terms of people are watching it who have no idea, have not watched college basketball all year, and they start, they'll, they'll watch four hours of basketball or something. I always have um, you know, a girl in, in the top of my bracket. You know what I mean? There's <laughs> probably a dozen girls that do it, and there's always one of them that picks all these upsets. Yeah, It brings out everybody, and that's why uh, we love that here. We are out of time. I want to thank Mike Isolino for stopping by. He's always welcome here. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.